You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. Maybe Dick was supposed to be big enough to swallow a whole ship. Maybe he could swim faster than any vessel in the sea. Maybe. And he had been seen by sailors whose reputations for sobriety were beyond reproach. Maybe. Yes, for centuries, maybe Dick has been a shadowy terror for all seafaring men. Pretty exciting, eh, Rock? Oh, that's just an old wives' tale, Bullwinkle. Old wives with whiskers? I mean, it's just make-believe. Make-believe? Sure. There's no such thing as a wailing whale. Well, if you can't believe what you read in the comic books, what can you believe? Oh, Bullwinkle. It's enough to destroy a young moose's faith. Oh, come on. There just couldn't be such a thing. You did sure make a good premise for a story, though. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hello, and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul. I'm not an animal expert. I am Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. Today, we are going to be talking (laughs) about a really interesting animal called the moose. Moose. We're talking about mooses today. Moose. (laughs) Meese. Oh, our Rugrat gets into that later on, but don't, just you wait. Nice. I think we should call him Moosin. (laughs) There's Moosin over there. (laughs) But first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Okay, so this week, not so much of a news story, but more or less a little PSA, kind of based on an article that I think you put into the Varmint's discussion group a week or two ago Mm -hmm. about baby birds and baby animals. Because here in the United States and in the Northern Hemisphere, it's getting to be springtime. And this is the time of year where big animals want to make little animals. And in a few months, we're going to have little animals kind of just laying around. So when you're out and about, you might start seeing a baby bird or a baby rabbit or something like that. So we just want to give you a few reminders. Yes. A young bird or mammal may appear to be abandoned or injured, but the mother frequently is off feeding or drinking. Don't take baby animals out of their hiding places. The longer a baby animal is separated from its mother, the slimmer the chance that it will be reunited with her. So, And very, very few animals will adopt orphans. Right. The other point I have here is that it is completely normal for animals and birds to leave their babies hidden to keep them from being detected by predators. And the parents will generally temporarily abandon their babies, and that draws the predator's attention away from them, so they're actually safe. Yeah, they're really good at hiding their babies. They're really, really good at it. Yes, so don't don't blow it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Baby birds that have their feathers and are on the ground will be cared for by their parents. Yep. So leave baby birds alone. Don't touch them. Even though you might not see the parent, they are probably looking at you somewhere. They're around. (laughs) They are. Yep. Very often, young birds will play with sticks and twigs on the ground, and that gives them the appearance of being injured. What they're doing is they're practicing nesting behavior as a very young bird. So what happens is people see these birds flailing around on the ground, 
and they bring them to animal rescue centers to find out that the the baby bird is actually perfectly healthy. Yes. Yeah. Because so. they're trying to work out how to move all the things. Right. So, <laughs> learning time. It's learning time. Here's the biggest reminder that we want to give you, and it is do not try to raise wildlife babies as pets. No. No, don't do that. As animals mature, they become more independent and they follow their own natural instincts to leave. They establish their own territories. If you rescue them, in air quotes, they're not going to be prepared for life in the wild. And anyway, most wildlife babies are protected by state or federal law, so it's illegal to possess them anyway. Yep. So just don't do not do it. Yeah, it's interesting because Kurt, when he was working um, with the... Colorado Fish and Wildlife Service, I think he was volunteering with them for several years, had many occasions where he ran across baby wildlife that was just appeared to be on its own, especially like baby deer. People really freak out about baby deer. Oh, no, oh, yeah. it's all by itself. But the mom is just right next door. I mean, she's just a few feet away. So right. <laughs> it's just you can't see her, but and she's being quiet. All the mama deer is going to do when you come around is stay still and hope that both of them survive because that's all she's got, you know? So. Right. <laughs> right. So, so what did he do when he encountered like a baby bird or a, or a baby animal? Well, left him alone. Um, he told yes. me a story about once there was a little baby fawn by their truck and they, uh, for some reason, the mama had just left the baby right by the truck tire in a little stand of grass. <laughs> so. They kind of had to wait for a while for the mom. And oh, my. So they, but they said that she surprised him, just hopped out of the grass like, blah! <laughs> <laughs> so that's the takeaway from all this. If you do encounter a baby bird or another animal, and look, a lot of you that listen to this podcast, you're very, very sweet, empathetic people. You want to be nice to animals. We want you to be nice to animals. And, and you're the kind of people that would want to scoop up that little baby bunny or a squirrel to make sure that it gets the help that you think it needs. Right. So the best thing that you can do is seems kind of counterintuitive, and that is to do what Curtis did and give it some space, walk away slowly, leave it alone, don't touch it. Leave them alone. <laughs> they have a better chance of making it if you don't touch them. Right. If you're a Star Trek fan... Think Prime Directive. That's right. Don't interfere. Yeah. Don't interfere. <laughs> let the let the animals do their animal things. They're really good at it. They're super good at it. They've had millions and millions of years of practice doing what they do. Yeah, they're really good and at they're it. They're good at it. Yep. No need to call wildlife CPS. <laughs> <laughs> Just a reminder, everybody, go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We're also on Twitter and at Instagram at at Varmans Podcast, all one word, and at Varmans Podcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, suggestions. Pinterest, we have a Pinterest. There's a link to that at the bottom of every set of show notes. And if you put Varmans into the search engine at tpublic.com, you'll find all sorts of awesome merchandise. We now have tote bags, etc. If you like the show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to our podcast? We are everywhere that podcasts are found, and word of mouth is the best way to help us grow. All right, let's learn about moosin. <laughs> hey! Hey! Mm. Let's go get educated on some animals. I know you wanna. Heck yeah! 
Well, we are learning about moose today. We're getting educated on some moose. Yes. The moose is the largest species of the deer family, which mm -hmm. I did not know. They're 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 a deer. Yep. There are eight living subspecies of moose that are found mostly in forested areas of the northern United States, Canada, Alaska, Russia, and northern Europe. Mm -hmm. In North America, they are the second largest land mammal besides the bison. The bison is first. Right. On average, an adult moose stands between a meter and a half and two meters tall at the shoulder. That's about four and a half to seven feet high. They are way big, yeah. <laughs> Males are called bulls. They normally weigh from 380 to 700 kilograms, which is about 830 pounds to about 1,500 pounds. The reason there's such a big difference is because of Bergman's rule, which we've talked about before. It's animals that are closer to the equator will typically be smaller than animals that are further away from the equator. Right. So that's why there's that big range in size. Females are called cows. They typically weigh between 200 and 500 kilograms. That's about 440 to about 1,100 pounds. Yep. So the females are still pretty big. Smaller, but you don't want them stepping on your toe. <laughs> no, and you don't want to get between one and her baby no. either. Because mm -mm. that's, a, that's a big, dangerous animal to mess with. Yep. One of the defining characteristics of moose in the bulls is those big antlers. Those antlers are between one and one and a half meters wide or four to five feet wide. Big, big, big antlers. Yep. Baby moose are called calves. Technically, a group of moose is called a herd, and they'll come together sometimes to either mate or fight over potential mates, but other than that, they're pretty solitary, and they don't generally form herds. Yeah. The word moose entered the English language around the 1600s. It comes from the Algonquin word Maswa, which means the good land. Oh no, that's Milwaukee. Actually, Maswa means he strips off, referring to the moose's behavior of stripping the bark off of trees, and it can also mean the twig eater. Yes. So you remember we were talking and sort of just as we were doing our research about what moose contribute to the ecology what is it that they contribute and wondering about that well other people were wondering too some scientists so they did some studies and they found a very large and unexpected effect can you guess what it is can you even guess i'm gonna say because it's this podcast that it's the poop the poopies <laughs> No, but it is pretty no? gross. <laughs> okay. It has to do with the carcasses of moose after wolves feast on them. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my goodness. And I suppose eventually it could be the poop as well, but uh, mostly it's the carcass. <laughs> the scientists okay. found that soils at carcass sites had 100 to 600% more inorganic nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium than soil from surrounding control sites. They also had an average of 38% more bacterial and fungal fatty acids, evidence of increased growth of bacteria and fungi. So the nitrogen levels in plants growing at the carcass sites was 25 to 47% higher than the levels at the control sites, and since large herbivores like moose are attracted to nitrogen-rich plants, the carcass sites become foraging sites, further supplementing the soil nutrients from the urine and feces of the animals eating there so yeah it sort of is poop as well right so yeah so here's a scientist quote about it he says 
I was initially skeptical that it would be possible to detect something as diffuse in the forest floor as nutrients from dead animals. <laughs> but it was gratifying to see everybody succeed in following animal-derived nutrients back into plants and enrich them in protein ready to be eaten again. So even moose that are killed in winter and mostly consumed produce substantial nutrient hotspots. And at the landscape scale, long-term carcass deposition patterns could influence forest dynamics by shifting the competitive relationships among tree seedlings through changes in the nutrient concentrations in their growth environment. So do moose affect the ecology? Yes, extremely so they are a major food item for anywhere that there are are wolves and bears and there you go it's predation and nutrient cycling and they're the two most important of all ecological processes but they seem just about completely unrelated to each other one scientist observed but they found out that that it was in fact not true so pretty interesting wow you, yeah, that was uh, Michigan's Tech School of Forest Resources and Environmental Science, and I will put a link to that article in our show notes. So, if you wow. wonder what moose are for, that's it. They're fertilizer. They're big. They are huge walk-in fertilizer. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> moose don't have front teeth on the top, but they do on the bottom. Yes. And they have six pairs each of molars and premolars. They do a lot of eating. Yeah. They have also adapted very tough gums and tongues, and um, that's because moose are large herbivores that have very poor eyesight, and they just eat, 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 eat. A moose has to eat nearly 10,000 kilocalories a day to maintain its weight. To put that in perspective, if you have a dog that's about 30 pounds, he needs about 800 calories a day, and a typical cat needs about 250. Right. So that's a lot of plants. And moose don't graze. They're not grazers. They are browsers. So they don't just eat everything that's green. They're very selective about what they eat. And when they find it, they eat a lot of it. Yes. One really cool thing that they have is that they have these lips that are very, very sensitive, unlike the rest of their mouth. And they're also prehensile. So they can use those lips to tell the difference between something that's edible, like a nice, fresh, green shoot, or completely inedible like a hard twig, which they don't want to eat unless it's wintertime, and then they'll, like, eat pretty much anything. But they prefer, like, the nice, fresh stuff. Yes. And they can do some pretty delicate operations with those lips. Like, they can pick individual dandelions out of the ground, root and everything, and eat those. Aw, man, I wish they'd come to my house. (laughs) You want a moose grazing in your yard? Yeah, a little, you know... I mean, we have public areas out there. We don't we don't have a yard of our own, but it's always covered in dandelions. Just put a moose out there. Just shoop. Okay, I'm going to sidetrack for a minute and ask you what the problem with dandelions is, because I think they're lovely little flowers. Um, they, I don't know. They've got those spiky leaves that kind of look kind of gnarly. And there's just a lot of okay. them, and they choke, the, they choke the other plants, so... You know? well, we don't have them in Florida, so whenever I see them, I'm like, oh, dandelion, and people up north and like you are like, yeah, dandelion, eat them. It's because they choke the area of the grass and they steal all the nutrients. They're really good at pulling all the nutrients out of the soil and taking up all the room. And I mean, don't quote me specifically because I don't know the science behind it, but they're a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, a moose, a moose would eat those. They do have a pretty little yellow flower, but soon the yellow flower becomes a dorky, white, fuzzy thing that just seeds all <laughs> over the place and makes your life a living heck. <laughs> well, moose eat those. Well, they should. And they should. About half of what they eat is on land, and it's low in fiber, it's high in sugar, and that gives them the energy that they need. But it's not very high in sodium, which the moose also needs. Mm -hmm. So the other half of a moose's diet comes from aquatic plants. Now, these don't have the sugars and the other ingredients that the moose needs for energy, but they are very high in sodium. Of course, there's a lot of water and liquid in there, so it hydrates the moose. And there's an added benefit to eating underwater plants. If it's summer and it's warm and you're covered in fur and fat and there's flies all around you, a little dip in a lake probably feels pretty good. And so moose have become excellent swimmers. They're really, really good at swimming. And they are the only member of the deer family that will feed underwater. And as an adaptation for that, their nose is equipped with these fatty pads and muscles. And when the nostrils are exposed to water pressure, that closes the nose immediately. And that prevents water from entering the nose so that they can dive down. They can stay underwater for about 30 seconds at a time, grab a big mouthful of whatever grows underwater and that's how they eat. Yep. And that's what they eat. Because of all this, it's not unheard of, but it's very, very rare to see moose in a zoo or in an animal type of sanctuary. They, they don't do very well in captivity because their range is just too large. Their nutritional needs are really, really complex. And they're very solitary animals. And they don't really want to be kind of gawked at by people or even other mooses. Yeah, especially Moose, not other mooses. Moosen. <laughs> They're like, get out of here, moosin. <laughs> I don't want to say no zoos have them because there's a couple of zoos that have them, but it's very, very rare. Hmm. I guess, but I mean, we have bison here in the Denver Zoo and you can go see them in the, so, I don't know. Hmm. They're easier to feed though. Like you can give a bison hay. You cannot give a moose hay. No. A no. moose, it'll, hay will actually kill a moose. Huh. Because of the fiber. Yeah, it'll it'll tear them up. Ah, well, we probably don't need them in the zoo anyway. Nah. Disclaimer time! The Varmint's podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then, Donna and Paul only have the yardstick of themselves, so they're going to do it anyway. He always so sounds so sad about it. You know? <laughs> they're going to do it anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> I couldn't find any studies on moose intelligence. Yeah, I couldn't either. Yeah. They give the impression that they're dumb. Like, I don't know if it's just because of the way they look uh-huh. or what. They don't seem very smart. I found this quote from the moose biologist for the state of New Hampshire. Her name is Christine Rines. And I just want to read this little thing that she said. She said, moose are smart enough to have populated large portions of the northern hemisphere and survive for approx- approximately two million years. Not bad for an animal many people consider stupid. Mm-hmm. People who believe moose are stupid are really commenting on the fact that moose do not always flee when danger presents itself. We interpret that as stupidity. In the world of a moose, facing danger has the decided benefit of reducing the chances for you or your offspring of being eaten by your primary predators, which are wolves or bears. Mm-hmm. As you or I would undoubtedly run for our lives when faced with similar imminent predation, we must come to the conclusion that moose are both smart and brave, and in comparison, 
We therefore must be stupid and cowardly. Mm. I guess it all depends on who's looking at who. <laughs> I love that quote. Uh, that sounds like somebody who's a little, maybe needs a break, take a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Most are not that bright. They don't need to be. It doesn't matter. They don't need to be. You know? <laughs> what I like about them is that they, you know, I'm trying to find a polite way to say gives no, you know, they just don't. They don't give a poop. They don't give a hoot. Nope. They don't. They don't <laughs> care. They do not care. They're like, nope. I don't know. I'm going over here. Are you in the way? I don't care. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I, don't think they're particularly threatened by humans because they know that they could just stomp any one of us into a grease spot on the forest floor at any time. Yeah, no, every time I've ever seen one or ever been near to one, everybody just goes, all right, let's back up. Let the moose do what the moose <laughs> is going to do. Because there's really nothing else you can do about it. So. No, nah, that's, that's probably pretty wise. Yeah. So I don't know. I gave them like a five because it's right in the middle and I have no idea. Yeah, how I mean, I don't are. think they have many problem solving abilities or anything, but, the, you know, they're they're intelligent enough to make sure that, you know, you better get out of the way. You know, so yep. They give Absolutely. no hoots. They have no hoots to give. They just <laughs> they don't care. They're like, whatever. I'm going to eat that thing and you're in my way. <laughs> Well, we are going to talk about moose and pop culture and a couple other things, but we're going to do that right after this. Hey everybody, this is Victoria, your dog guru, and I want to answer all of your canine conundrums. From your puppy questions to your daring dog disasters. I am here to help you restore peace in your home. In every single episode of Ask Your Dog Guru, we will answer questions from listeners, we'll offer training tips and tricks, and we'll give you advice on all things dog. Not to mention, we have some pretty cool guests. Ask Your Dog Guru can be found on all your favorite podcast apps, iTunes, and of course on Blazing Caribou Studios. So go fetch Fido, grab a warm seat on the couch, and listen to Ask Your Dog Guru. Namaste. Well, this here's animal rancher and expert at large, Cotton Shorts. You know Paul and Don are just a couple of nerds like you, and they don't usually get to see animals in the wild, but so we'll talk about where they usually do get to see them, which is to say on popular culture, books, movies, television, and video games. So I'm going to start with the very famous moose that you heard at the beginning of the podcast. That is Bullwinkle J. Moose who was a fictional character on the animated television series Rocky and His Friends and The Bullwinkle Show, which was produced by Jay Ward, and Bill Scott, who provided the voice of Bullwinkle. Ward and his business partner Alex Anderson created Bullwinkle for a thing called the Frostbite Falls Review, which was a storyboard idea. It was never developed into a series, but this character kind of stuck with them. They named the character after a man named Clarence Bullwinkle, who was a car dealer in the area where they lived. And they thought that was just a, a funny last name, so they named the, the, the Moose Bullwinkle. Nice. Bullwinkle shares a house with his best friend Rocky, who is a squirrel, in the fictional small town of Frostbite Falls, Minnesota, which is a spoof of the real-life American town of International Falls, Minnesota. Bullwinkle attended college at Wasamata U on a football scholarship. He is a longtime supporter of the Bull Moose Party, and at one time he was the part owner, part governor of the island of Moosylvania. <laughs> Bullwinkle is shown at numerous times to be quite wealthy. Uh, he has, like, mattresses full of cash, and he's always 
got money from somehow. So Bullwinkle is well-meaning, but he's just not all that bright, and he is the frequent target of Boris Badenov and Natasha. Uh, in addition to regular storylines in the cartoons, Bullwinkle also hosted other segments of the program, including Mr. Know-It-All, where he tried to demonstrate his supposed but non-existent expertise at a subject, yes. like disarming bombs or curing hiccups or things that would sometimes get him blown up or in trouble. <laughs> There was Bullwinkle's Corner, where the moose would attempt to read poetry. <laughs> I love that. That was great. And then there's that one classic running gag where Bullwinkle would attempt to pull a rabbit out of a top hat. Yes. Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of a hat. Again? That trick <laughs> never works. <laughs> Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> and he'd, he'd pull out something like a lion or a tiger or a bear, and sometimes he would pull out Rocky Must himself. Must have got the wrong hat or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Must have got the wrong hat. And then Rocky would, now here's something we hope you'll really like. <laughs> yes. And then they would go to a commercial or something. Oh, he never got a rabbit out of that hat. <laughs> Ever. Ever. <laughs> Here's Bill Scott. Bill Scott has passed on, but here he is talking about doing the voice of Bullwinkle. Oh, good. Bullwinkle, of course, would be my favorite. I guess in large part because that's kind of the character that I would really like to be like. Somebody who says outrageous things, you know, just react like this. But it's so dumb, you really can't take him, you know, you really can't take umbrage at what he says or what he does. Because after all, he's a moose. What do you expect from a moose? What do you expect from a moose? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> Not much. Oh, how fun. As all good cartoons do, the Rocky and Bullwinkle show had tons of satire, parody of politics and pop culture so the adults could enjoy it too. And even though that makes it a little dated because it is an older show, it was on in the late 50s, early 60s, sometimes uh, if you're clicking around in the TV stations, you can see Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons. They're still in syndication, and they're still very, very, very funny. Hilarious. Yep. I grew up with that. I love that. Well, uh, it turns out there are not that many moose in pop culture. It seems like Bullwinkle pretty much cornered the market on pop culture. So what I'm going to talk about instead is just a viral thing that went out on the internet about moose that are white in color. They're not albinos, they're just white moose. Okay. There is a video, a really cool video, that was taken of this snowy white moose that lives in Sweden. And so if you just play the... I'm going to put a link to a movie by a photographer of that shows several different kinds of white moose and different like light colors of moose. Some of them are this incredibly light caramel color and... Just beautiful, beautiful animals. But if you just play the music from that movie, I'll put the movie in the show notes, and then I will read a little bit to you from the article from National Geographic about what happened with this white moose and what it's all about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, one completely white Swedish moose recently gained celebrity status after a local politician captured video footage of it wandering through the water in the Varmland region in the southwest part of Sweden. Municipal council member Hans Nilsson told a Swedish radio station, Sverige Radio, 
that he's a nature lover who frequently attempted to film or photograph the rare moose. After three years, he finally caught the stunning footage of the bull moose crossing a shallow river and walking through tall grass. The moose appears to be entirely white with soft velvet coating on its antlers. Despite the animal's all-white appearance, its coloring does not result from albinism, a congenital condition that results in a loss of pigmentation. Cases of albinism in animals and in people result in light or pinkish-colored eyes. Moose with bright white fur commonly obtain this feature from a recessive gene that causes the animal to grow white with specks of brown, a condition referred to as piebald. While it is not common for people to see white moose compared to their brown counterparts, videos of the animal have surfaced before. In late June, two white moose twins were captured on camera in Norway. Lee Kantar, Maine's state deer and moose biologist, explained to National Geographic at the time that he thought it was possible to, that the moose were albino or piebald. But the footage wasn't very clear. Goran Eriksson is a professor of elk and moose for the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences, and he explained that while the condition is rare, he sees news of white moose surface every year, and it's possible the prevalence of these ghostly-looking animals is increasing. According to Eriksson, moose in Scandinavian countries face few predators, except for humans. And he says the following, Hunters have chosen not to kill any moose that are light-colored. In other words, with the white moose being effectively protected, natural selection might be making the condition more common. Oh, wow. Yeah, he says it's kind of like dog breeding. The hunters choose to select for the traits that otherwise wouldn't have occurred. Without an official database of the white moose in the region, however, it can't be definitively said that white moose are becoming more common, so it's just a possibility. White moose have been spotted in Alaska and Canada. These North American regions are also home to the more abundant predators like wolves and bears, and it's unknown if animals' white fur puts them at a disadvantage when trying to camouflage into the forest. In, Han in Canada, just as a finishing statement, the hunters are prohibited from killing moose that are more than 50% white in color. So it looks like they're trying to maintain that genetic diversity and keep those, gen those recessive genes in the population so pretty cool beautiful animals i mean moose are kind of dorky looking anyway but uh they're no i'm looking at a picture of one right now and you think white moose eh, whatever and you see one and it's absolutely stunning yeah they are sort of dorky looking don't you think but oh they're totally dorky looking but they're all white like the antlers everything from head to toe is bright snow white and it's really remarkable looking yeah it is it's quite majestic looking yep even it's majestic still, that's I think the it's word really interesting because it sort of maintains the nerdy gangly weird look but also amazing <laughs> like what <laughs> how can you be funky and ugly at the same time i don't know <laughs> <laughs> very cool well wouldn't you know i have this lovely pot pie ready to go in the oven isn't that gorgeous? Mm. <laughs> Tell me you wouldn't put that in your food box. Mm. Why wouldn't you eat moose? Like, is well, there I any reason you. not to eat moose? <laughs> Earlier today, I had a conversation with my friend Rex about moose in New Hampshire and just the okay. sort of just living with moose. And he, his quote was, and I even wrote it down. I asked him about eating moose because I never have. And he said that he's had it in some sort of chili. 
<laughs> he oh, said it okay. was in some sort of chili thing, and it was in no way good. <laughs> <laughs> Not even in chili? No. Oh, that is so disappointing. <laughs> oh, no. I just laughed because of the way he put it. It was in no way good. <laughs> like there was no universe in which this was going to be a tasty thing to eat. So. Oh. They eat so much salt, I just can't imagine that it would taste good at all, you know? But they're like cows. They're herbivores. They yeah, eat but they plants. eat so they much don't... more salt than all the other herbivores, so... Hmm. You know? Well, that's true, because, like, they're licking the salt on the roads and stuff They'll, when it's wintertime. Yeah, and they have all those... You were talking about the plants in the water. Those yeah. have a ton of salt in them. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I kind of want some chili Rex now. definitely thought it was pretty awful. And, uh... <laughs> Paul, Donna, it's me, Toph. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Yep. Of course it is. <laughs> Let's help you win that next trivia night. Or just sound smarter than the rest of the room. With this, the Animal Fact of the Week. Thanks, Toph. This episode was Toph's idea. Like, he, he requested moose weeks ago months ago moosin. and now we're finally getting around to it so thanks Tove. thanks Tove. here's your moosin <laughs> <laughs> when you read news stories about the moose especially online there's conflicting reports on how the moose are doing are the moose in trouble and the answer to that is yes and no kind of depending on where you're at yep their conservation status is least concern yep. so they're and the main reason that moose die is from wolves and bears because that's their main predators and they also die from people hunting them. Yep. A few things are happening that have people concerned about the moose. Uh, moose numbers fluctuate because of deer and wolves and global warming. Now, white-tailed deer, you might think, how does that affect the moose population? White-tailed deer carry ticks and diseases that kill the moose, particularly brainworm. Brainworm is a parasite that use the white-tailed deer and underwater snails as a host, which is, it's really complex, but here's kind of how it works. The brainworm lives in the white-tailed deer. They pick up the parasite from other deer's feces that have that parasite in them. So they live in the deer, the deer poops out the eggs, and if those eggs make it near or in the water, Freshwater snails will then swallow and incubate those eggs inside their bodies. And now the moose comes along, and it wants some underwater grass, which it eats a lot of, and it scoops up a mouthful of those water grasses, and it has a few snails inside. Those eggs then hatch inside the moose, where they travel to the brain, and now the moose has brainworm. Oh, man. Yeah. White-tailed deer are resistant to brainworm. The brainworm do not affect the, the deer's brains especially they do attack the central nervous system a little bit but they don't affect the brains of the deer whereas in the moose they're completely susceptible to, to brain worms so brain worm has killed off a lot of moose particularly in minnesota where white-tailed deer and moose habitats sort of intersect where there's a lot of both kinds of animals yep wolves the more wolves there are the fewer moose calves there will be and when the wolf population increases, the moose population decreases. If something happens to the wolves that decrease their numbers like disease, the moose numbers rebound again. Circle of life makes sense. Yep. Climate change, which is a thing. Yes. Uh, not only is that driving the moose further north to seek colder climates, 
but their shorter winters and less cold winters are doing what, Donna? They are increasing the lifespan of ticks and therefore killing more moose. So numbers in Maine have gone down by 64% since the 1990s. So it is a problem in New England in particular that is not going to get better. So it's unlikely that uh, we're going to have moose in New England in a few years. And I was reading some estimates as much as 10 years from now, we won't have moose in New England. So, right. Yep. A little sad. It is. A, a moose can carry up to 150,000 ticks. Yes, and it's really sad because now that we know about their carcasses fueling forest growth, what's going to happen to the forest in New England when there aren't any moose? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so that's a little bit of a bummer because New England forests are gorgeous. Hopefully it won't have that much of an effect, but... So I don't know, because they don't really have the wolves in the way that we do in the West, but they've got black bears and stuff, so. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to have to hope that it doesn't get as bad as, as it could get, So because they are kind of an important part of the ecology. They're super important, and there's a lot of factors that are affecting moose populations. It's so complex that, you know, Donna and I could probably do a three-hour podcast about just moose populations, yeah. Just for moose sure. populations. There's so I much mean, it's going so on there. Crazy. It's like overall their numbers are increasing worldwide, but that doesn't mean that they're okay. It it's there are moose coming to Colorado from the eastern states because it's colder here in the winter. But our winters are getting warmer too. So they're just gonna keep going and keep going too. It's colder and colder and colder and man, you know, who knows? That could they could be least concerned now and then in 20 years just gone so exactly yep and you know we like avoid politics on this podcast completely we do and there is you know there there are still some people that don't believe climate change is a thing right climate change is a thing it is and look do some reading into moose populations and what is affecting the moose and why their numbers are going down in places like New Hampshire and Minnesota. And uh, if that doesn't convince you, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's enough of that. Uh, <laughs> let's hope that we can get our poop in a group so that we yes. can keep our moose because they sure are neat. They're great. They are really cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast. We do appreciate it. This podcast has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo. Bed music by Kevin McLeod. Vocal talent by Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Andrea Freitas, and by you, the Patreon supporter. Thank you so much for giving a dollar or two to the Blazing Caribou Studios Patreon. Every month, we really do appreciate it. Thank you also to those of you who have bought things from Tee Public. Hope you're liking your stuff. That's really good stuff. I got some stuff this week. I got a coffee mug and a couple of shirts, and I am loving them. So thank you very, very, very much for supporting us. We do appreciate it. Yes. So it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat, eight years of age or younger, that wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it super easy for your Rugrat to hear their voice on our podcast. So give us, drop us a little line. Yes, do like 
Aubrey and Isaac did. They returned this week for a couple of things to say about Moose. Aubrey has a little song that she made up, and Isaac has some pretty specific opinions about Moose and a little story to tell. So Excellent. Yeah, the sound quality is a little iffy, so just kind of turn your volume up a little bit for this so that you can hear them, but it's it, it's worth it, trust me. Mm-hmm. Moose are dangerous, moose are dangerous, but they're beautiful too, but they're beautiful too. <laughs> All right. Um, there's this time. Um, the first time I ever saw a moose in Alaska, because we lived there. Um... It was on the front porch eating our Halloween pumpkins. <laughs> nice. Like it got right up on the porch. Yeah, it got like it was just sitting on the front porch. It wasn't like kind of near. It was on the front porch. <laughs> was it looking through a screen door? Yes, it was looking at us. <laughs> what mommy doing? She saw it. Freaked out. Yep. She got real scared, didn't she? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's pretty cool. What about a group of them? Uh, Why don't they call them meese? Like, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) They they always say, oh, don't look at them mooses. They should say meese. Like mice or geese. Or a group of crows is called a murder. So you're saying, why don't they call multiple moose meese? Call them moose. That doesn't make sense. Gotcha. Look at all that moose, boy. <laughs> <laughs> moosin, I'm telling you. It's got to catch up. I like on. moosin. <laughs> that, that, he'll never forget seeing that moose eating those Halloween pumpkins. I think that's like, odd. He'll, honestly one of the best moots have no hoots to give stories that I've ever heard. <laughs> mm, pumpkin, yum, I'm going to eat it. Thank you so much, Aubrey and Isaac, and thank you to their mom, Kristen, for recording them for us. We really do appreciate it. That was great, guys. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Be nice to animals. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Studios. And now... Hey, Rocky! Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Presto!